welcome to Shooting the Frizzbreeze with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Randy? I am doing fabulous. I just have to say that I had a jam yesterday with Char Powell coming out for the first time since her hip surgery, and she's got no hitch in her kick now. It's just amazing. So I just want to give a shout out to her. Welcome back, Char. It's really great to have you back on the field again. So Wow. Well, I'm very much looking forward to jamming with Char and also the rest of the Seattle crew someday, hopefully soon, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm also really excited because we are starting a journey with a new guest. Uh, he's one of the top players today. He's a threat to win any event that he shows up to. He also represents one of the hottest jam communities on the scene right now. He attended World Urban Games and one of the hottest mixed pairs teams. And uh, he's also a contributor to the to the sport in way more than just competition. He's a jam spreader. He makes videos. He really is just putting the jam scene out there for the world to see. So welcome to the call, Edo Turi. Hi, guys. Hi, Jake. Hi, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk with you and get to know, you know, your early journey and also to talk to you about where your journey is going to go. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to just start off with the first question that we start off with everyone, and that is, how did Frisbee come into your life? Actually, uh, Frisbee came to my life uh, pretty early in my days. Like uh, in my childhood, uh, I used to play Frisbee with my dad sometimes. Uh, I used to have a, a green Daffy, Daffy Duck disc, uh, like a toy, so it didn't fly very well. Growing up, I just uh, leave it, uh, left it in my garage and... Uh, haven't used it. Uh, I started uh, swimming and then basketball. When I used to hang out with my friends, uh, I said, uh, "Hey, I have a frisbee. Why don't you play with the with my frisbee with my friends?" So I took it with me, and uh, in a couple of uh, throw and catch session, we lost it. So I had to buy another one. It was an ultimate disc, and uh, I was starting to do some like uh, behind the back catches, uh, nothing so serious. Two or three weeks later, that this disc, I uh, met Andrea in a festival and he was playing freestyle and that's uh, where my journey started. How old were you when you bought that ultimate disc? It was 2013, so it was uh, like 17. Okay, so you were a teenager. You went to a music festival and you met Andrea there and you saw him actually doing freestyle? Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's called uh, Synergie La Garina, which is uh, a synergy of uh, uh, associations of uh, sports, music, uh, set nearby Rovereto. Uh, so there is a castle uh, over a hill, uh, which is really beautiful. And uh, Andrea was playing right in the middle of the grass, uh, alone by, by himself. So I had my disc and uh, my friends wasn't very much into frisbee i was the only one who was into frisbee as i saw him i was astonished and it amazed me so i went straight to him and asked him what the hell was he doing so was he at that point was he the only jammer in rubberetto 
No, it was uh, him and uh, Mattia. They used to play a lot with their friends, uh, throwing catches. And uh, since, I don't know, like one year before, maybe two years before, they discovered about freestyle frisbee on videos on YouTube. But, uh, you know, in, in winter it's very cold here, so they used to play only in the summer and it was mm, really basic. They already had the center delay and doing some pulls, some spinnings, so they were very very good they didn't know anything about the freestyle scene in uh, italy in europe uh, yeah wow yeah that is so cool that it just kind of developed organically and it was off of you know some videos off the internet which the internet has really changed how the sport has grown of course and so you see andre and you're like what the hell is that and so you walk up to him and is there a sort of an instant bond and does he kind of take you under his wing and, and start kind of teaching you the basics uh, well, actually, mm, we just started playing. We exchanged like two, three words, like I'm Andrea, I'm Eduardo, cool, let's play frisbee together. And we just started playing frisbee. I had no idea that the, the frisbee could have been delayed. Uh, he showed me his nails, so I tried a couple of things. Of course, I was uh, doing nothing, but it was so much fun. And I remember the only trick that... Uh, um, that came out of for me it was like a, a throw for Andrea that came to my head and I sort of delayed it uh, on the head uh, which is not <laughs> intentional you know but <laughs> it worked and uh, yeah it was so much fun well you started out with the hardest move in the game a, a head delay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how old are you now so that was 17 years old and you're how old now I'm 25 okay so you've connected with the jam scene now. So what happens next? How do you uh, expand up through the game? So we exchanged contacts. Uh, he told me about uh, Mattia, which is his cousin. And uh, at the same time, Philippe and I sort of, not in a fight, but we, we didn't really talk to each other, even if we had uh, the same group of friends. Because at the same time, he uh, met Andrea and he started playing too with Andrea. Uh, after exchanging my contacts with Andrea, we talked to each other at the phone and uh, set up some meetings. So I get to know Mattia and uh, also Filippo. Frisbee was like the reconnection for me and Filippo and uh, we all started to just uh, go out and jam every time we had uh, we had time. That's really cool right there. I didn't realize that. So you and Filippo, and what is Filippo's last name? Uh, Bortot. Bortot, yeah. So you and Filippo were friends and knew each other before you saw Andrea play, but you guys had kind of gone separate ways or whatever. And then Filippo met Andrea and yep. was blown away by what he was doing. And then so you and Filippo kind of got connected by Andrea again, Yeah, you know, started the uh, Frisbee journey as the four, the four horsemen, I'll call you, of Rovereto. So you had Mattia Columbari, Andrea Festi, Ido Turi, and Filippo Bortot. Yeah, it, it really came out uh, spontaneous and uh, naturally. And also, like, one or two years later that I knew Andrea, uh, we get to know that we are second-graded cousins. You didn't know that? <laughs> wow. No. Okay, wait a second. So Andrea and Mattia are cousins, and you're cousins with Andrea as well? Yeah, like, uh, her mother <laughs> is my mother's cousins. Another fun fact uh, is that uh, Mattia used to live uh, in the 
house next to me. Andrea and, uh, and Mattia used to play frisbee in my garage, but they never saw them. It was destiny that you guys were supposed to meet, <laughs> without yeah. a doubt. That's awesome. So there you four are. You guys are all feeding off of each other, and that's awesome that you had each other to grow. So, so when did you start thinking like, hey, I want to get out there in the world and start looking for a tournament? Like, So when was the first freestyle tournament that you went to or the first one that you competed in? Even this part of uh, our Frisbee journey came out pretty mm, spontaneously, like uh, mm, during a, a sort of party at a pub, uh, Andrea met uh, Anna Merlo one night because she was there mm, working with the, I think, theater company or something like that. And uh, Andrea was there after the jam and uh, yeah, he had his nails on and uh, the frisbee in his, uh, in his bag. And uh, Anna saw him and told him, wait, are you a freestyler? <laughs> and so we met our first uh, external frisbee player, I don't know how to say it. And uh, yeah, she told us about uh, Bologna, Milano, and uh, Ali, who made nails, uh, and uh, all this kind of stuff. So they exchanged contacts, and uh, there we get to know that there was a lot more, uh, even, even uh, close to us, not just uh, in America, Santa Cruz on beaches, on beautiful beaches. And again, so just all of what you've told us so far is just these moments of chance. Like if you would not have seen Andrea at that festival or if Andrea had not gone to the pub and met Anna Merlot, your life may have taken a very different turn. So it's cool to look back on life and see these moments that kind of really changed the course of our life. How small of a window that is that your life can change so dramatically. So I love that hearing that in your story and uh, just sort of applying that to all of our lives of how our journeys could change in an instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember the exact uh, uh, succession of the um, of the things that happened, but we went to Bologna. We we texted to maybe Manu, Ali, and the others, and uh, they hosted us uh, in their gym. And then our first uh, real tournament, where we saw other players uh, and uh, other great players like Tom Leitner, Daniel O'Neill, etc., uh, was in Paganello, maybe 2015 or 16. And uh, yeah, it was also our first time at the wind, so it was pretty crazy, you know, at Paganello, uh, it's very strong wind, and uh, we all went, uh, the four of us went, went down. Um, I think Mattia and Andrea played together. Uh, Filippo decided not to compete, so I played with uh, Anna Merlo, uh, which was my first partner. Yeah, I did uh, pretty shitty in, in our rounds, but it was uh, experience and it was great. And thanks to Alan Merlo for being my first partner. She was really kind and uh, it was very nice. Yeah, you always remember your first competition and especially your first partner because it, like you said, it's experience. Because it's a brand new experience and you've got this other person who's done it before, who's kind of mentoring you through the process, it just creates a really special connection. So yeah, totally. So continue with the story. What happens after that? 
uh, in this period, we also started to, uh, you know, look for gyms and look for places to play because uh, in, in uh, winter we, we used to stop uh, at least for two or three months, maybe even more. So, Mattia's uh, boss at work uh, was uh, in the organization of, uh, of a sports society. Uh, so, we asked them if we could have joined them. They said yes, uh, and uh, that we should have uh, done like workshop. Uh, and uh, if anyone would have wanted to, to come and try the sport, uh, uh, we should have mm, let him come in and it was not a problem at all so we made it and we managed to to go into the gyms during the winter and that was when the, uh, our game kind of step up because uh, now we can play at the gym all the year and uh, of course in the summer not in the summer but uh, we can continuously play and uh, practice all the year well, and something just occurred to me your was your first worlds in 2017 yep yep I think that's the first time that I saw you and the rest of the Rovereto crew jamming in person, and you guys were on fire. You were just shredding your brains out, and I think you made the finals, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, actually, I think uh, the first time, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it was in Frisbeer, 2017. Like 2017 was, we, we made it to all tournaments we, we could. It was like uh, uh, Frisbeer, then suddenly uh, Gian Canaria, uh, Paganello, Italian Open, uh, Summer Hut uh, Berlin, Summit and Sea, FPA World. It was like every month uh, a tournament. That was a really a game changer. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely when you guys burst onto the competitive scene for sure. But I want to go back. So you say you're you're jamming in the gym and your game is starting to get better. You guys are starting to put in the time. That's when you guys started putting out some videos on YouTube. I remember seeing them like, going, what the heck is going on in Rovereto? And you guys just kept putting out more videos and your games kept improving. And it was just like, okay, these guys are the real deal. You could just tell from the way that you guys were playing that you had a real respect for the game from the past. So who were some of those inspirations that you were watching on the internet that was helping you guys build your game into the world-class level that you became? Uh, okay, so at first, uh, uh, Mattia and Andrea were their real nerds. Uh, and uh, Filippo was uh, on fire, like them. Uh, and me too, but I'm, I was not very into practicing and uh, jamming for, for a certain goal. I just did it because I liked it. Uh, I just wanted to manipulate the disc uh, and uh, jump around, you know. Uh, I didn't want to spin, to do big catches, uh, to do big uh, spinning catches uh, and to learn all the things. Uh, so my first years, uh, I really just uh, get spontaneous uh, and didn't really watch the, any older videos. But uh, Mattia and Andrea uh, also bought some books uh, from Valentino De Chiara and some others from uh, maybe Victor Malafronte and these kind of guys. So they really had a huge influence since the beginning from older players. Instead, for me, I started uh, being more video nerd after 2017 when we met uh, all the great players. 
And there I started to see like uh, Joey Docklin, Chipper Bro, John Brooks, uh, um, the V Bros. And uh, I realized that there was so much more to do that uh, how you look, uh, it means really very much uh, in our sport. Uh, I realized that I should have worked uh, hard on my body to get better. Yeah, so that's, these were my first uh, inspiration, like Joy, Chip, uh, the Vibros. Yeah, also Larry Imperiale. Um, I have many names in mind, uh, but uh, uh, the most uh, uh, inspiring for me uh, was Joy Docklin and then later on Cryvan Sickle, Donny Rhodes. <laughs> what's cool is that, you know, you're naming inspirations that I was inspired by when I was a young guy. So, you know, Donnie Rhodes and, and Cray Van Sickle were two of my heroes. And so it's just cool to hear you say that, you know, on your journey and, you know, whatever, 30 years later. I like the parallel. I've heard it said that Donnie burst onto the scene and was kind of this scrawny kid who could play a little bit but he wasn't really that great and then a year later he was amazing and i feel like that's exactly what's happened in rovaretto you guys came to the first tournament in 2016 you didn't do very well you were really new and then boom 2017 you're at you're at the top you're at the next level you just totally blew everyone's minds um thank you very much yeah one thing that i wanted to ask you was well, i remember in your world's routine uh, or in all of the routines, really, that there was a, a lot of creativity. There were some very subtle moves that I had not seen or thought of before. And, and a lot of them were co-ops. I think there was a, like jumping over. One partner was on the ground. The other partner jumped over him and did a fake guidance pull. But then something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember seeing that and going, how did they come up with that? How did you come up with that? Or what, what, did you, what inspired you to be creative like that in your, in your play? The Gaitis uh, pool that uh, you think uh, Filippo Moist, uh, it was a Gaitis hoop. Uh, yeah, it was completely his idea. I, I think he haven't seen it from anybody. And I don't know, we just jammed uh, together. And uh, like for Filippo and I, building routine was like uh, uh, we built one routine and it was uh, pretty sporadic. Uh, but uh, we used to jam and record ourselves. And then when something good happened, we used to stop and practice that move a bit and then put it in the routine. That's a really cool strategy. And it's a, it's a strategy that people couldn't do so much back in the older days. And it really lines up with what you said about your realization that how you look is is really important in the game and how you present yourself. I'm remembering Udna, Italy as well. And that's the first time I had met the four of you. And uh, I totally remember that Gaitis hoop. And what was cool is that all four of you guys made the finals. You guys were a real buzz. Like everybody was just like, oh my gosh, these guys are are here and they're they're making a statement. Both teams make the finals is an incredible accomplishment and something that you should be obviously super proud of. So I wanted to ask you, after that um, accomplishment, and did that help you moving forward? Yeah, that certainly uh, affected all of, all of us. I think me in particular, because uh, as I said before, I wasn't really into uh, practicing and getting better for uh, a specific goal. My final thought was uh, like uh, me and Filippo haven't practiced our routine for months. Uh, we were very sporadic. Uh, and that made me realize that we could have done much more, much better. I think that's the main thing that uh, uh, 
make me at least uh, uh, want to go forward and want to get better in my game. Yeah, I love that. Not only was that experience helped propel you, but also looking back and that the opportunity you let slip away by not practicing more. And you went, hey, I actually could have done even better if I had put my time in. And so you said, I'm not going to let that opportunity slip away from me again. So did you start practicing a ton just on your own and, and putting in the hours? Yeah, not not just by myself. It was more of jamming in a different way. After FPA Worlds in Udine, uh, Filippo kind of had his own things to do, so he came less to jam. And it was uh, mainly uh, the three of us, uh, Andrea, Mattia and I. And we used to, at least I used to go more for indies uh, and uh, uh, doing some warm-ups with the, I don't know, Craven Sickle uh, series of catch for warm-up uh, and uh, just doing sets for spinnings or just doing some kind of turnovers, I don't know, these kinds of stuff. So it was, yeah, also practicing alone, even at the gym, but uh, also a different mindset uh, in the gym. Well, I found that really fascinating that Edo's takeaway from his experience at Udna in the world championships and uh, what he was going to take moving forward, I don't want to ever miss that opportunity again. So he was, I was thinking when I asked him that question, it would give him confidence, but he was like, nope, I saw an opportunity that I lost because I didn't prepare well enough. It was like a mature competitive point of view that I never really had in my early days. So uh, I think that really shows in where his game is now and how quickly he improved. So I wanted to ask you a question, Jake. When you were upcoming and having some success, how did that success affect you and your game? It's a good question. And I think I was actually in a kind of a cool position because it was me and my brother. We were a team. And so any success that I had, we had together. And then we would go back and sort of talk about it and decide how we wanted to react to it. Never really thought or felt like a missed opportunity, but definitely felt motivated. So I remember, uh, I think it was 1999, maybe was the first time that uh, Matt and I had made it into the finals and we were playing co-op with scott weaver actually and so scott um, had worked with us to build a routine which is something we hadn't really done before we were more like let's have a beginning co-op a middle co-op and an end co-op and then just spawn the rest of the time so then we had a routine with scott and made it to the finals and Matt and I looked at each other and we're like, the finals is awesome and we want to be first place one day. We need to learn how to build routines. And poof, right after that, we started working on routines and trying to figure out how to get better. That kind of continued to be the theme. The better we did, the harder we worked, the more we practiced on our, on our routines. Actually, it's very interesting that what you just said is you and Matt did realize you actually did need to do a little bit more to get to that top spot. So you, in a way, did recognize an opportunity it wasn't maybe so much lost, but an opportunity that you could seize by putting in more work. Yep, totally. It's a similar story. I bet you a lot of people have that experience. And you want it, right, when you finally make the finals. But, you know, one, one of the thoughts that we had, for whatever reason at the time, I don't think this is how I feel anymore, but at the time we thought spawn is where it's at. And if you can't win with spawn, then you're not the best. And so we thought, well, we're going to practice and 
have a routine and do really well, but we're going to keep practicing just spontaneous play too. And one day we're going to be so good that we're just going to walk onto the field without a plan and win, <laughs> which of course never happened, <laughs> but that's what we talked about. <laughs> but you did get really good and then you did plan and you did win. So did win. you kind of put it all together. So the interesting thing about the, the year that we won is that the year before was the year that we practiced the most. We had a very intricate routine and we practiced, I'd say every day, we practiced a lot. I think part of what happened was we put a lot of expectations on ourselves because of the practice, but I also feel like a lot of the intricacies were lost on the judges. So we ended up not hitting the routine as well as we wanted, but still looking at the scores, we felt like, gosh, we should have scored higher in in uh, artistic impression than we really did. And we just were like kind of feeling dejected at that point. Like what? we put in all this effort and we still couldn't make it happen. And I definitely take some ownership because we didn't hit it the way that we really wanted to hit it. So the next year we said, we're going to have a routine, but we're not going to put in that much effort. We're just going to kind of go with the flow. And that's the year that we won. We're just like, okay, we just walked on the field and weren't thinking so hard. And then we hit the routine and everything came together. Wow. Well, that's ironic, right? Yeah. Everything that we just said, you just did it backwards. So yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really is. It comes down to those four or five minutes and anything can happen. You can go into Frisbee hell or you can go into Frisbee magic. And uh, it's interesting, this conversation, it makes me look back over my career. I really do see a lot of opportunities that I let slip away because I didn't prepare enough or I didn't prepare better and I didn't take those lessons from a previous year and apply it to the next year. I always just kind of said, okay, this is going to be my game plan for this year. And whatever was the concept or the music or whatever new things I was kicking around, that's really what drove the boat for me. Not so much thinking about, oh, I need to do this to win, but I always wanted to do that to win. I just didn't know what it was going to look like. It's interesting. So you, you sounds like you reacted differently to your successes or, you know, I think for me, it wasn't like looking at it as an opportunity that was lost. I was just gaining confidence in being able to manage those four and five minutes and execute them better than anybody else and present them better than anybody else because I was having that experience and that foundation was getting laid about how to be comfortable mm. out there and not let the moment own me, but let me own the moment. Yeah, totally. I mean, that uh, just like you said earlier, that that four or five minutes, anything can happen. It almost like you can prepare and that helps, but you just have to be out there and you just have to do it. It's like you have to go through that four or five minutes several times, maybe a hundred times before you can really just walk out there and own the moment. Absolutely. And, you know, I have not been in Frisbee hell for many, many years. And I attribute that to being able to manage those minutes because I know if it's starting to get away from me, I reel it back in. I know to go into it initially, just kind of settle in with maybe something that makes me comfortable. You know, my whole thing is feel it, peel it. If you don't, seal it. And I think that is wisdom for folks on how to manage their time out there. Well, on that, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. And thank you especially to all of our supporters, the donors, the patrons, and even those people who buy shirts. We really appreciate your support. And uh, it's really what keeps us going. We've been doing this for four years now and uh, we do it for you. So we just want to say thank you. 
Yeah, and I echo all of that, Jake. And I love my Frisbee Guru coffee mug. I drink from it every day, and it's my favorite mug. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Hainesville.